Welcome. This is Coppercasts, a show dedicated to exploring the wonderful, if somewhat technical, world of institutional investment in crypto assets. I'm your host, Tyler Kenyon. Our guest today is John Newberry, co-founder and executive director of Brink. Brink is a nonprofit organization John founded alongside Mike Schmidt to support Bitcoin's open source developer community. In addition to writing grants to Bitcoin projects, Brink is also training promising Bitcoin developers in its fellowship program. John recently returned back to London from New York City, where he was based for several years working at Chaincode Labs. There he spent most of his time writing, reviewing, and debugging code in Bitcoin Core, until he set up Brink late last year. I really enjoyed this conversation with John. His knowledge and insight on the process of Bitcoin development is phenomenal. I also picked his brain on the upcoming Bitcoin upgrade Taproot, which if you haven't been paying attention to the furor, now's your chance to get up to speed. Welcome, John. Hi, Tyler. Could you shed a little bit of light into your initial journey into the digital asset space? It's your, what is your crypto origin story? Well, um, in around 2015, I was working as a software developer and interested in, in code and in maths and getting interested in economics. And um, I think it was a podcast I, I listened to at that time talking about Bitcoin and blockchains and various other things. Um, yeah. And it sounded interesting. I'd heard of Bitcoin a few times before, but kind of dismissed it as weird, geeky. Internet money. Internet money. Um, and I'd, I'd had a very quick look at it, but it didn't seem interesting or viable or like it made any sense. But after the second or third time, I started really digging into it. And Was there a certain element to it that you discovered that you thought, actually, this has legs? It's not just a, an well, idea? Yeah. I, the thing that put me off initially... So back in 2012, I guess, or 11, when I first heard about it, was it just didn't seem like it would be scalable. There's inherent throughput limitations on the Bitcoin blockchain. And if you want to be a world money, um, there's a lot of transactions going on in the world. So it didn't make sense to me that if I was running a Bitcoin node on my computer in London and someone bought a cup of coffee in Melbourne, why why should my computer be validating that transaction? And at the time, a lot of people were talking about Bitcoin as like a, a retail kind of money, right? That people buy their coffee with Bitcoin. And that just didn't make sense to me. That There's, there's no way that the Bitcoin network could really support that many transactions. Um, and so in 2015, there was a paper written called the Lightning Network paper. Um, it was written by Tash Dreyer and, and Joseph Poon, and it talked about um, building a layer on top of Bitcoin um, where you could transfer value, transfer Bitcoin without actually hitting the blockchain. And suddenly that kind of made me realize, actually, you can use this thing to build something interesting. Um, it's not limited by the blockchain space. And you can use that blockchain as, as like an anchor of trust where you're building on the second layer um, these applications and these networks. So... That, that kind of got me past that, that skepticism about the scalability of Bitcoin. And payment networks and Lightning Network just seemed fascinating to me. And I just started kind of looking into Bitcoin and digging and, and reading blog posts and listening to podcasts and downloading the source code. And, you know, before you know it, like it's, it's all you're thinking about and all your friends are sick of you talking about Bitcoin. So that's, that's, that's how I got into it in 2015. And I realized I needed to quit my job and work on Bitcoin because it was the, th the thing that was most fascinating how, to me. How do you make that leap from, you know, a job as a software engineer, obviously highly yeah. in demand uh, occupation, to like, what do you tell your parents about, I'm quitting my job so that I can work full time on a protocol 
that's open source. So I'm not employed by anyone. I'm just going to help the community. How, how does that conversation go? Well, I mean, they were used to me saying things like I'm, I'm, I'm moving to Malaysia now and, and uh, just supporting that. You know, I have support, supportive parents and, um, yeah, they, they saw that I was passionate about a thing and that, you know, if, if you're passionate about something, you should pursue it. And that's what I did. So do you remember your first, like, project working on the protocol with other Bitcoin engineers and being, I don't know, is there some secret club you're indoctrinated into? or in, uh, How does it work? Well, it's not a secret. It's open source. And, <laughs> yeah, okay. and, and that openness is like kind, of, kind of crucial to Bitcoin. Bitcoin is open and neutral money. So, But not everyone gets the keys to the cupboard really to well there there are maintainers who are able to merge code into the the repository um, but the review process is fully open and those maintainers don't really have or the theory is that they don't really weld power they they simply kind of follow consensus so people review the code and if enough people um, accept it and think think it's safe and think it's an improvement the maintainers will will merge that code so um, that philosophy of openness, I think, is kind of critical to Bitcoin. If, if Bitcoin was a proprietary system or being developed um, in secret and, and no one knew how it worked, then it wouldn't be an open money system and it would be no better than, than what we have today. So um, sorry to get sorry to be a bit heavy, but your question was, um, do I remember my first kind of contributions and my, my first introduction to that world? Yeah, I do. I, um, I quit my job. And my plan was to move, I was living in Melbourne at the time, my plan was to move to London and find some way to work on Bitcoin. And just at that time, a company called Chaincode, um, which is an organization that does research and development on Bitcoin, um, advertised a residency program where they brought people in to learn about Bitcoin development. And I applied for that. They accepted me. And um, I flew to New York for a month and was finally around other people who were uh, as crazy about Bitcoin as I was, um, like this crazy internet money that that everyone thinks you're kind of mad for for working on. Suddenly, there were people around me that were also working on it, and um, yeah, that was the beginning of of my my journey as being an open source Bitcoin developer. So, if we, if we fast forward, then um, you spent a couple of years as a, a Bitcoin protocol engineer uh, at Chaincode, and then you want to set up Brink. Mm. Um, what led you to sort of go off on your own? As it were, uh, well, I, I was so after the after the residency program in in twenty sixteen, um, Chaincode hired me in twenty seventeen, and I, I lived in New York for about four years. And uh, so fast forward to twenty twenty, things were looking pretty pretty wild in in America in general. Mm-hmm. Um, there was coronavirus, and things were locked down, and the election was kind of giving me a bit of anxiety. And I felt like it's probably time to move back to the UK, um, be a bit closer to family. So I. I, I took that decision to move back, and Chaincode is fully in in New York. Um, the whole point of that organization is to have kind of this critical mass of developers working together on this project. And so it was a natural time for me to move on. Um, and you know, I'm still on very good terms with Chaincode. I, I think they're a great organization. Um, but I wanted to continue my work on Bitcoin. And also very important to me, I wanted to work on mentoring and training new developers to work on Bitcoin. It's something that I'd done at Chaincode um, you know, over my four years there. And so Brink is kind of a vehicle for me to continue that work of working on Bitcoin and mentoring new developers and at the same time supporting established 
Bitcoin protocol developers. And Brink operating as a, a non-profit, you're reliant on the, the goodwill and the donations of individuals, corporations, whatever. So who are contributing to Brink at the moment? Is it, a, is it mostly individuals or is it corporates? What's the composition? It's, it's a mixture. So the um, kind of the seed funding that, that the founding sponsors are uh, John Pfeffer and Vences Casares and, and a third sponsor. And uh, John and Vences have been very generous over the last years contributing to open source Bitcoin protocol development. Um, they both believe very strongly in Bitcoin. Vences is from Argentina. Um, he's, he founded Zappo. Mm. And um, he has been proselytizing and um, talking about Bitcoin since, you know, I don't know, 2011, 2012, and very passionate about Bitcoin. And John Pfeffer is a, an investor um, and wrote a paper in, I think, 2017 or 18 called The Institu Institutional Investor's Guide to Bitcoin, um, you know, very thoughtful kind of investor view of, of why Bitcoin has value. And um, he, his view is that, if you're a holder, if you invest in Bitcoin, um, you should be supporting the network. You should be supporting the developers who who make this thing run. So they they were you know they're very supportive and, and put in the funding, and their funding covers all of the the admin and the operational costs. So that covers my salary. It covers all the legal and accounting and office costs and so on. And then any money that we raise after that goes directly to our programs. So I can go out to a, a potential sponsor and say. You know, if you give me $100, or you, sorry, if you give Brink $100, $100 goes to our programs for, for grants and, and fellowships. And what, what do the grants and fellowships look like um, at the moment? It's still relatively young, but what are some of the projects you guys have been doing? Yeah, um, we have announced three grantees so far. So we have um, Jesse Posner, who is working on some cryptographic protocols, um, specifically one called Frost, which is a multi-signature protocol. We've given a grant to... Um, Habasto Stepanov, who has been working on Bitcoin Core for about two or three years. He's one of the most prolific contributors to that project. He's, you know, he's got a very high work rate and does a lot, a lot of work for that project. Um, and we gave one grant to Alecos Fellini, who is doing a project called BTK, Bitcoin Dev Kit, uh, which is a, a set of libraries for people building wallets and applications on Bitcoin. So we're, we're quite proud that we are um, supporting kind of all the way up and down the stack, like fundamental cryptographic research engineering, Bitcoin Core, so the, the, the reference protocol, and then applications built on top of that. Um, we have two more grantees who we have just signed contracts with and we'll be announcing those pretty shortly. And then on the fellowship side, we have one fellow so far, her name's Gloria. She graduated from Berkeley last year. She's, she's extraordinarily talented. Um, that's, that's what we want in our fellowship. We want people who have enormous potential and and we're just able to kind of unlock that and, and let them the work, work on Bitcoin. So Gloria started with us in January and we have just signed a contract with our second fellow who will start with us hopefully later this year or early next year. Um, so, so we're already going, we're already funding people and we just want to raise more money and fund good people. Yeah, it sounds, it sounds like there's a lot of products, not just within Brink, but I mean, within the wider Bitcoin community, like how, how many projects do you have an idea of or like are on the go at the moment? Is it... Because uh, in your um, showpiece to us earlier, you're talking about maybe there's 20 people working full time on on Bitcoin Core. On so, Core. so Bitcoin Core, I'd say, is the most important project in Bitcoin. It's it's a reference implementation. It's it's the full node that you run that connects to other full nodes and maintains consensus. Um, 
if Bitcoin Core fails, then Bitcoin fails. So you know, for me, that's a, that's a central and most important project. Um, but then there's there's many many other projects. You can go up and down the stack. So if you go like more fundamental down the stack towards kind of cryptographic libraries, Bitcoin Core uses libsecp, which is our library for doing digital signatures, an integral part of Bitcoin, and it's got to be very secure. It's got to be fast, performant. Um, but then if you go up the stack to the more kind of layers on top of Bitcoin, you have things like Lightning, you have things like Vaults, you have things like DLCs, discrete law contracts. And there's a whole ecosystem of projects that are implementing those things. Um, I, I, I can't really give you a number, but it's, you know, it's, it's, it's pretty vibrant and I think it gets bigger every year or it has so far. And how do the engineers uh, who are working on this, I mean, are they all Bitcoin maximalists or... You know, do you, when you look at Ethereum and, you know, them moving from a proof of work to proof of stake, or if you look at any other layer one protocol, is it with uh, disdain or is it excitement that there's more people engaging in the space? Uh, what's the, what's the attitude? Uh, for me, it's neither, neither disdain nor, what was the other one? Excitement? excitement yeah. Not really, no. I, Bitcoin is my focus. You know, I, I, I think Bitcoin, um, if just Bitcoin succeeds, then it's it's a miracle. It's an amazing thing that we've that we've done. Um, you know, I, I I don't spend my time thinking about those other projects really. Um, most most Bitcoin developers just work on Bitcoin because they consider it the most important project. Um, we have a few kind of crossover. So one um, one person I know works on on Zcash and also works on Bitcoin. Um, those those things are pretty similar. And f for sure, there's good work going on in other projects, but it's just not my focus. Mm -hmm. Can you tell me about Taproot? Because <laughs> I don't know anything about it other mm. than it's a thing and it's happening. It's a thing and it's happening. It's, it's officially happening. Um, Taproot is a new kind of output for Bitcoin. So when when I when I spend Bitcoin, I create a transaction that has inputs that you know, provide Bitcoins into that transaction. I have outputs that are sending Bitcoins out. And each output has some kind of encumbrance. So if I'm sending Bitcoin to you, you have a private key. You give me your public key, and then I create a transaction output, which is encumbered by if you have the private key connected to this public key, you can sign for it and you can spend these coins, right? So that's that's how I transfer value to you, and that's in the transaction output. Taproot is a new kind of output. Um, it comes along with something called Schnorr signatures, which is a new kind of signature algorithm. Um, I, I don't I don't want to get really into the, the deep technical weeds of it, but um, it enables lots of cool new features. Um, one of which, just one of which is, I can, with Taproot or with Schnorr signatures, create multi-signature schemes that look like single signature schemes. Um, and that's really nice in terms of fungibility. So if you give me an address, if you give me a Taproot address, I don't know whether that's with a single key or with multiple keys or with a threshold of two or three keys. Um, and it costs the same for you to spend that as if it were a single key. So that means things like multi-signature, which are, are more secure, um, can be done in place of single signature. Taproot allows you to add even more kind of scripts and encumbrances and allows you to do things like Lightning Network that looks exactly like a single signature. So I, I think the goal is eventually all Bitcoin transactions or all outputs basically look like a single pub key. 
Now that's really, like I said, it's really good for fungibility. We don't want people to look at the network and be able to tell things about you just by looking at that that graph of transactions. And so Taproot adds to that fungibility. It adds to scalability because these transactions are now smaller. They all look like a single key. And you can do all kinds of interesting features um, based on Schnorr signatures, um, things like DLC's discrete log contracts where you have um, an oracle feeding data and you have transactions that, that are dependent on that data but leak no information to the chain. So, I mean, it's, it's a huge subject, but it's, it's good for scalability, it's good for privacy and fungibility, and, and those are all good things. Does that make it somewhat um, competitive in, in a DeFi space or like a smart contract comparison if, if you've got that sort of like conditional output? Yeah, potentially. I mean, those are things that I don't know much about, um, DeFi and and so on, but you can build interesting, quote, smart contracts um, on top of Bitcoin. So encumbering spends and transfers of money on external events. Um, I, I think the, the philosophy of Bitcoin or... I guess you can't really talk about a philosophy of Bitcoin. But my, when, when I think about Bitcoin, I think about um, trying to keep that data on the chain small and limited and building functionality outside of the chain. Mm -hmm. And and Taproot is, is, is a tool in that toolkit to, to build smart contracts and applications that don't have a heavy footprint on the on the blockchain. Okay, what, so we get a fairly wide range of... Um, base level knowledge to our listeners. So we'll, we'll get some people who will say, come on, John, give us more details than that. And then we'll get some people who are like, what? Conditional what? Mm -hmm. So I guess give me like the, the easiest, like what does a Bitcoin core developer do in a day? Like what, what do you, when you open your laptop and you log in, what, yep. what are you looking at? Is it the matrix or is it something <laughs> more simple than that? Um, well, Bitcoin core, um, the way that we coordinate between developers mostly through GitHub. Um, so we, we go onto the GitHub website and we see um, in the Bitcoin repository, there are various pull requests. So these are changes that people have proposed to the Bitcoin core code base. And someone, anyone can open a pull request, it's an open process. And then other contributors will look at that pull request and review it. And when you're reviewing, reviewing a pull request, you're thinking, do we want this change? Is this change safe? Is it in line with the direction of the project? Various other questions like that. Um, is it tested? Is it maintainable? And once a few people have reviewed that and said, I think this change is good, then one of the maintainers will, will merge that into the code base. So the majority of, the majority of an engineer's time, um, I, I spend quite a bit of my time on, on other things now, but I, I still get to work on the code a bit. Um, is reviewing other people's PRs. So it's not writing code. It's looking at other people's code and thinking, is that safe? Is, is it what we want? Is it improving Bitcoin? Um, but always front of our mind is safety and security. Like Bitcoin, if it fails, if we introduce a bug, we could disrupt a, a trillion dollar network. And that's... Um, Some responsibility on your shoulders. Yeah, I think so. Um, I mean, there's it's a big team, so... Um, you know, if there's a problem, it's we we try and minimize it being um, 
down to one person. You know, we, we have many eyes looking at changes. But yeah, you, you, you don't want to be the person that writes a bug. <laughs> of course you don't. Of course you don't. And you also don't want to be the person that reviews a PR that has a bug in that you didn't catch. Um, so is there a scorecard somewhere? Um, no. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Okay. So for any of our listeners who who hear that and they think, man, that that sounds cool. That sounds right up my street. Mm. Um, how would what's the application process for a fellowship, for instance, with Brink? What, how do you get involved? Well, we're looking for people who are already showing like some some level of commitment and dedication to, to working on Bitcoin. Um, so the the fellowship, the the training program, the training portion of what we do, um, we're not looking for beginners. We're looking for people who have already shown potential. So if someone's listening to the the podcast and thinking, how do I get involved in Bitcoin development? Um, well, first of all, you can just download the code, right? It's it's there in the open. Download the code, look at it. Um, I run a weekly um, club called the Bitcoin Core PR Review Club, and that's hosted on IRC. So you can just go to the website, Bitcoin, uh, Bitcoin, what is it? Bitcoin, I'll try and remember the name of that. Uh, <laughs> we'll cut back in Bit- and edit. <laughs> Bitcoincore.review, I think. Um, and you can show up. It's at, on Wednesdays and just ask questions about a pull request. Um, we look at one pull request every week and someone writes notes and questions about it and you can just show up and review the PR and ask questions of more experienced people. So it's kind of a, it's a safe space for people to come and, and learn about the process of working on Bitcoin. Um, and I started that about a year and a half ago um, and we've had lots of people come through that and and learn about Bitcoin. Um, Gloria, our first fellow, was was a regular there. Um, our next fellow is is someone who, who comes to that very frequently, and it's just a way for people to learn. So there's people. Bitcoin developers are generally pretty friendly, and if you come in with the attitude that you want to help and learn, then there are lots of people who will help you. Great. If you think about all the, you know, all the stuff that you guys review, um, the projects that you've got at Brink, and then elsewhere in the community, what is there something that stands out as most exciting or like that offers the most potential for whether it's the core or you know layer twos or below you know what's kind of gets you excited about the space right now i think schnorr taproot so this new soft fork um i, I, I guess i didn't talk about what i, I talked about what taproot was and I, but we didn't talk about um activation or, or soft forks so taproot is a change to the the protocol it's a it's a tightening or a, a rest- restricting of the the rules of Bitcoin um, that unlocks this new functionality. And the way that protocol changes in Bitcoin happen are through soft forks. And that means that um, the protocol is changing. It's it's a coordination problem. You have this decentralized network. How do you ensure that people across that network are enforcing the same rules? Um, It's a difficult problem and there have been various solutions to it over the years. Taproot will be activated and become part of the Bitcoin protocol rules in November um, after a, a signaling period um, over the last couple of months. A, a sufficient proportion of blocks signaled acceptance of Taproot, which meant it locked in and will be activated in November. And therefore, after November, wallets and other applications can start using Taproot and Schnorr. Um, it's it's been a long process. So Taproot Schnorr was proposed maybe four years ago. 
And then there's been a long process of kind of community review and, and changes. And eventually it was signaled and locked in and, and will be activated in November. But that's really just like the first step. The next step is people actually using it while it's implementing instead of using the old kind of output using taproot outputs. And that for me is, is the exciting part, like people actually using this functionality and building cool stuff on top of this new tool that is now available to them. Um, so Lightning already exists, but there are various changes, improvements to the Lightning protocol that can be built because of the functionality that Taproot has added. So seeing, seeing projects like the Lightning implementations use that new functionality to improve Lightning, um, seeing other projects like Vaults and DLCs and, and various other applications on top of Bitcoin implementing things on top of Taproot, I, that's really exciting. And it will take, I guess it will take a number of years for that to kind of work its way through like that application ecosystem. Um, I'm excited about that. But then in terms of Bitcoin Core, there's there's always lots of work going on. And you know, it's, it's a software project like any other. So um, Surely it's not like any other. Um, it's unlike any other, but in, in some ways <laughs> it's like any other in yeah. that there's always work to be done. There's yeah. always maintenance work to be done. And, um, you know, 90% of it is not glamorous, but it's essential to Bitcoin continuing to run. And, you know, for me, Bitcoin is the thing. You know, that's what I'm excited about, Bitcoin. Um, so, you know, whatever work it takes to, to make Bitcoin successful is kind of part of that excitement. Cool. I mean, this has been a really fascinating conversation. Um I never thought I'd say I'm excited about Schnorr. <laughs> there we go. Uh, we've got a few questions that we just ask everyone. You okay. mind if we run through them quickly? Sure. Cool. Mm -hmm. uh, where do you see the crypto industry in one year versus 10 years? Um, I, I am not qualified to talk about or comment on, uh, on the <laughs> wider about, quotes, about, quotes industry. Um, the community of Bitcoin core developers, one year versus 10 years? Um, oh, that's, that's something that I can about more i think um you know I, I hope to see not just the number of people contributing to bitcoin increase but the the quality of the work we do increase i want to see bitcoin core the project be better modularized so the different parts of the software kind of separated out with um, well-defined interfaces between them allowing better testing um, and better maintainability us to move faster and and um, have more confidence in our changes. Like the quality of the software, I think just kind of trends up over time and I'm, I'm excited to see that continue. Um, but also the number of people like contributing and taking part in the process. Like I think that's essential to Bitcoin if we want it to be a world money and something that everyone has access to, like building that base of, of people working on it and understanding the technology. That's, I think that's pretty exciting. Okay, what is in your personal life, what is one piece of technology you couldn't live without? Bitcoin. You're the first person who's ever said that. Hmm. Most people are like, my phone. Oh, oh we have had some cool answers. Someone said a shower. Uh, someone said their toaster. But okay, Bitcoin. Um, what does your weekend look like when you're not uh, behind a laptop? Um, I like going climbing. I like getting outdoors, going hiking. Um, do you do the indoor climbing as well? Or is it strictly I do that, uh, well, on yeah. the mountain? I, I mean, it's, be, it's better if it's on a mountain, but I live in London. So. <laughs> we, don't have, we don't have many around <laughs> here. What is your nearest? Where is your nearest outdoor climbing? Where do you have to go? Wales? I don't know. I haven't. I haven't done any climbing trips since I moved back to the UK because it's been mostly locked down. But uh, we'll see. I'm going down to Dorset. Okay, Jurassic um, Coast. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's a little bit of climbing there. Nice. Okay, um, who should we all follow on Twitter? And you can shamelessly self-plug here. Well, Bitcoin Brink, of course. I, yeah, I'd say like uninstall Twitter and, <laughs> and, and save yourself the okay. 10 hours a week. of. Did you do any um, like Clubhouse or have you done any other like Discord mm. or any of that? No, I haven't. No, okay. but I saw that people were getting very excited about the president of El Salvador being on a on a on a clubhouse on a Twitter on a Spaces clubhouse. thing, um, which I listened to for a few minutes, and that was enough for me. <laughs> okay, um, who's the next guest we should have on the show? They got to be in London. No, we'll travel. You'll travel. We will travel now. We previously didn't, but someone gave us a lot of money, so now we can travel. Gloria, you should talk to Gloria. Where's Gloria? She's. She's in the office in Shoreditch. <laughs> <laughs> really, really crushing our budget on the trip to Shoreditch. Okay, we'll go talk to Gloria. Um, if you somehow managed to meet Satoshi, right, and you could only ask him one question, what would it be? Why have you been so careless to let someone meet you? <laughs> That's good. I like that. Cool. John, thank you very much for coming in. Um, we will stay in touch, and we'll have you back on the show in a little while. Thank you. To our listeners, if you haven't already seen John's show and tell video, please go to our YouTube page or you can find it on Twitter at CopperHQ or find it on our website, copper.co forward slash insights. There you can also sign up for our newsletter, which goes out every Monday morning and includes links to all the week's top stories, as well as any updates from the wider team here at Copper. If you've enjoyed listening to the podcast, please be sure to give us a good review on whichever streaming platform you're using. And if you want to get in touch, you can always reach me, Tyler, on Twitter at CryptoTSK. Or you can email me directly, tyler.kenyon at copper.co. If you'd like to be a guest on the show, or if you know someone who should be, please give us a shout. We're here to talk all things institutional crypto. This show is made possible because of the technical and creative wizardry of Ben Silvertown and Tally Spear, with support from Maylee Mountfort and Eva Lila. New episodes come out fortnightly. And in the meantime, stay safe. <laughs>